Here we go on the disclaimer. Support for WMSE comes from Finks, located at the corner of Water and Humboldt. Open weekdays at 4 p.m. and weekends at 2 p.m., Finks offers a drink menu featuring craft beers and cocktails. Finks has multiple pinball machines and ample bike parking. More information about Finks at facebook.com slash F-I-N-K-S-M-K-E. to the disclaimer here on WMSC. I'm Ryan Schleicher. As always, joined by Evan Ritleski and Matt Wild. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, so there's no real easy way to do this, but we might, might as well just say it right up front. This will be the very final edition of the disclaimer here on WMSC. Who would have thunk after uh, after seven or eight or nine years? Uh, yeah, this is the... Final show. Historians have been unable to figure out when the show actually started. Like, even John Gertis stumped on this one. No one knows. It's impossible to tell. We don't remember. No one remembers. But yeah, it's been it's been yeah about seven or eight years. Pre Milwaukee like record for some context. Yeah, pre Milwaukee record. Yeah, the show started actually kind of the genesis of the show. I remember uh, it was kind of started out as what was it called it was like av radio yeah or something. It was when before when hyden was still the editor of local av club him and i started doing this av radio like 10 minute spot mm-hmm. right before the tom wanderer show and then you and i tried to keep it going but i don't know it was just just wasn't working yeah for I whatever felt, reason i felt really bad cutting into tom's show like always like <laughs> one of the best shows and still one of the best shows on the station and uh, i always felt really guilty like, it's like oh man like 10 minutes to this guy is just killing him <laughs> so i think he was glad to see us go but yeah then this kind of uh then we kind of regrouped and uh uh, got Evan on board, and then yeah, it's been the three of us ever since. And that was the first time I ever met Matt. I did not know Matt before doing the show, so got to know Matt. Yeah, I don't, I don't get out, out often, so yeah, this is uh, the one time a week I go outside. So it was very exciting. <laughs> I think, I think the original idea for the show is that you know we like Matt and I would like clash all the time and disagree about everything and. Turns out when you put uh, three guys roughly the same age and the same race in the same room, there's not a whole lot of uh, disagreement. Right. I think uh, in hindsight, over the years, we came to realize that that maybe isn't the most riveting radio. But... That was the alternative title to the show. <laughs> three guys, all the same age, the same race. Yeah. It was, uh, in hindsight, I think we, the show could have been conceived a little better, but yeah, we, it, we made the most it. Of was it was flawed for eight years, and we've been running it into the ground ever since. There is zero conception for the show. Well, be, before we, uh, we sign off with some final reminisces should we should we share some last uh, hot takes sure. as, as we do that's our uh, that's what we do on the show sometimes so. absolutely Ugh. Matt, you want to introduce? You're good. At, you've always been better at introducing the topics. I All feel right. like you've got like a good radio voice, like a good energy. I have neither of those things, but I'll uh, I'll give it one last shot here. Um, it's been kind of a uh, the last uh, week or so has been uh, kind of a, a, a weird week for for music criticism and for just kind of criticism in general. And uh, we've seen a lot of artists kind of really uh, snapping back at uh, music writers. Clapping back. Clapping back. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Oh, boy, I'm showing my age there. Um, <laughs> uh, at uh, music writers. It, I think the first one that I saw was uh, Lizzo, who uh, has a new album out, a 
kind of a universally acclaimed and loved album. And uh, she's playing at Summerfest this year. Very excited to see that show. And uh, there was just one morning I woke up and there was a tweet from Lizzo saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but something like... People who review albums, review was in quotes, uh, people who review albums and don't make music themselves should be unemployed. It was all in caps. Mm. And uh, so right away I thought like, oh, what's the one not absolutely glowing review that she read that she's angry about? turned out it was from Pitchfork, uh, which gave her her album, uh, what, uh, 6.5, Six, yeah. something like that, which is is still, you know, it's, uh, you hear this all the time. Uh, it reminds me of like video game journalism too, when people get really bent out of shape when, you know, the new Assassin's Creed only gets a 7.8 <laughs> and it's like, that's still really good. It's, yeah, it's not perfect, but uh, it's still really good. And so this kind of uh, set off uh, this, this kind of conversation that happens, uh, you know, every now and then about uh, uh, artists uh, getting bent out of shape about reviews and, you know, is that, uh, is that a good look for artists? Is that something uh, they, they should be doing? Is it, uh, should writers just be able to kind of take that kind of criticism as they dish it out? Uh, so that was one thing. And then uh, there were a couple of others uh, right in the, around the same time. Uh, one that kind of has a, a slightly local tie. Uh, former Milwaukeean Steve Hyden, uh, he wrote a piece for, was it Uproxx he writes for? Yeah, um, about uh, Saturday Night Live uh, weekend update anchor Colin Jost. And if you don't know Colin Jost, uh, he is uh, just this really kind of blandly handsome, blandly kind of funny guy who's been hosting Weekend Update for a long time. And uh, Hayden wrote about that. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, why do people still hate this guy? And, you know, is, uh, you know, he's dating Scarlett Johansson and he's just kind of kind of a jerk sometimes online. He's just kind of not a very likable person. And uh, but it was, you know, it was a very fair, uh, very, you know, well-reasoned, well-thought-out, uh, you know, it wasn't a hit piece or anything like that. Uh, Steve has never, you know, done that sort of thing. But um, interestingly, uh, the person who kind of uh, clapped back on that one was not Colin Jost, but Colin Jost's co-anchor on Saturday Night Live, uh, Michael Shea. And uh, Michael Shea took to, I believe, Instagram or uh, Twitter social media in general, and kind of launched this uh, really crazy, really kind of explicit, and we can't like repeat a lot of the things he said about him on uh, on the radio here, but uh, really kind of attacked Hayden kind of in a funny way. He was kind of doing a bit saying, you know, like, oh, there's this guy out there, Stephen Hayden, I don't know, I maybe heard he, he does some strange things with animals. Uh, I don't know, I, I, that's just a rumor I heard, you know, and he, that kind of thing kind of an old bit and uh, kind of like really went after Hyden. And then uh, that kind of launched a, a whole conversation again. And then uh, right after that, I think uh, Ariana Grande wrote something uh, uh, angry about a review of uh, her Coachella set or Justin Bieber's Coachella set, something like that. And uh, there was another one. There's a, there's a great piece on uh, BuzzFeed News uh, right now. It's called, When Did Celebrities Get So Bad at Taking Criticism? Kind of sums all this up. And uh, it's a it's a very good piece, and yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a conversation we've had before. We've probably talked about uh, a lot on the show before, and uh, I think both you and I, Evan, have, Evan, have had experiences uh, where uh, artists uh, do kind of suddenly kind of uh, snap back, and uh, it's it's always kind of a uh, clap back, man. Clap, clap back. back. You got oh, it one time. I was I was impressed. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of this uh, this weird situation, and. 
I'm, you know, frankly, I'm kind of of two minds about it. It's uh, there is part of me that's maybe not sympathetic to the artist. Well, maybe a little bit because, and I think you've said this before, Evan, where it's it's so hard for for artists or celebrities to uh, to uh, kind of retort to these criticisms without seeming really really petty. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, they have this huge huge platform, and uh, music writers and critics tend to, you know, kind of have their own little. Uh, audiences, but certainly, you know, not as huge as some of these uh, celebrities do. So, you know, it it puts these these folks in kind of a pickle. Like, you know, well, do you just have to kind of quietly just not say anything and and take it, or is there a way that they can actually kind of uh, you know respond to these criticisms? So that's kind of a tough spot for them. Uh, on the other hand, you know, having been certainly not uh, as kind of uh, on a big platform like someone like Haydn was, but you know, I've had some, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, clapping back from celebrities for stuff I wrote and uh, or for stuff uh, writers that I've been working with have written, and it's it's kind of alarming how quickly that can really spiral out of control because all someone has to do is you know post a, a review and say hey. This is, uh, you know, this is BS, and the the fans of that artist or celebrity really take it from there, and sometimes really take it in kind of ugly, and uh, you know, kind of uh, scary and dangerous, dangerous ways. Um, Taylor Swift fans, specifically. Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> if you you yeah. learn if you spend any time on the internet, especially on Twitter, you learn real fast not to tweet anything about Taylor Swift. Otherwise, it's like shockingly ugly mob comes for you. Mm-hmm. It's like, have you ever played uh, like a Legend of Zelda game where you beat up the chicken and it seems kind of fun and kind of harmless and the chicken like blocks? <laughs> Wait, like, when did what, you what? become that? Well, I, I mean, this, uh, this is my youth, Ryan. I mean, I think a lot of people know that if you hit the chicken enough times in, in the Legend of Zelda, dozens of chickens swarm you and true. start attacking you. And this is what happens if you tweet once about Taylor Swift is your mentions are they're over for the week. I mean, it mm-hmm. just gets, it gets like really ugly. Nicki Minaj has, has another one of these. Kanye. Uh, there's a lot of artists who have these sort of like ugly, they call them hives, which is supposed to be cute, but it is not because they swarm at you. And uh, so, yeah, it is kind of, um, there is like a sort of a weird game of censorship that goes on online sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, it, it's most of the time not the actual celebrity in question or musician in question. It's It's their fans. And I've had that experience with, uh, you know, reviews, I remember a review, uh, it wasn't something I wrote, but something a writer that was uh, working with us wrote about a, a, someone set at Summerfest. And uh, that artist, and it, you know, again, it was it was not a hit piece. It was kind of a fair, even-handed review saying like, well, this was good. Maybe this wasn't great. And this artist kind of, you know, posted uh, that on their uh, social media along with, you know, the writer's uh, Twitter handle and everything. And you know, within minutes, it was it just it just blew up. And the one I remember is I'm pretty sure it was you that wrote it, Evan. It was, and I can't remember the guy's name. Was a young songwriter, did a solo set at Linneman's. and the piece was actually quite encouraging toward the artist. It was basically saying, you know, give this guy a couple of years, and it's going to be something mm-hmm. something really good. Um, there's there's moments of it now, but you know, it just needs a little more polish. That was kind of the tenor of the piece, and the f- comment was just like, "How dare you ruin this person's career?" Yeah. You know, they they rely on coverage to build out their music career, and it was just so ridiculous. But my my thoughts on, on especially the big ones like Lizzo, and the one that it brings to mind is Chance the Rapper, like mm. I, because both of them had just universally acclaimed coverage um, across the board and one bad review, and. 
it just makes it's just so dumb like mm-hmm. you know Lizzo's not thanking all of the thousands of employed journalists who write nicely about her music that gets her more fans and more acclaim like it's it's just so dumb to Ch- me chance the rapper i'm glad you brought that up i forgot about that chance the rapper uh went like one step further and like intimidated publication not him but his team intimidated publications that wrote anything like even vaguely critical of him and of course if you know anything about chance the rapper it's that people love chance the rapper that 99.9 percent of all coverage of chance the rapper is glowing and about how important he is in fact it overlooks a lot of slightly problematic things about him which is okay because the gist of chance the rapper is goodness and that's reflected in the coverage but you know, I think it was like an MTV news site printed like yeah. one. And they took it down. And they, they were like bullied into taking it down, which was nuts. Uh, another one, uh, a few, was it months ago, years ago? Time has no meaning on the show anymore. <laughs> but uh, James Blake, who another guy who gets uh, almost universally fawning coverage, especially early in his career, probably when he needed it the most, uh, went off on I think it was a bad review on Pitchfork or maybe a subtweet of a bad review on Pitchfork saying that by criticizing him, they were attacking sensitivity and stigmatizing emotions. And it's like, if you know anything about reviewers, you know, that's not what they do. If anything, they glorify sensitivity and emotions. These are traits they value and that we praise in artists. Um, But he just it, it just seemed like a very like a very fake attack. Right. It just it's hard to believe he actually believes that. Yeah. On, yep. the other, on the other hand, I do think that, you know, if your job is to write critically about others' art, you got to take it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. it's it's It stinks that you get these hives that bombard you and kind of ruin your internet life for a couple of weeks, but that's kind of the nature of the beast. So I've thought a lot about this, this question that Matt posed is like, what can an artist do? Because this is something I've always thought about a lot as a critic is there is sort of a weird imbalance where as a critic, I get to render, especially if you're writing for a site of some prestige, I get to render this verdict, this like decisive verdict. We write decisively and that's rewarded in criticism. Uh, And then there's really not a lot of avenues for the artist to respond in a way that lets them make their case, rebut it, uh, point out what I got wrong without seeming really, really petty. And to me, that's always seemed like a problem. Um, Ironically, years ago, I I made that point uh, regarding Talib Kweli. He reviewed a review, which do not do this, people. (laughs) But uh, Pitchfork gave one of his projects, uh, a lesser project of his, to be generous, uh, kind of a, I don't remember how cold the review was. Middling. Middling, probably. And he responded by, boy, don't do this, reviewing the review. And I just sort of tweeted that and I was like, hey, you know, this is, there's just no way for an artist to do this without seeming petty and thin-skinned. There just isn't. Maybe that's fair, maybe that's not. But this is a bad look for an artist. And Talib Kuli, of course, responded with like a huge tweet. It was actually when, when we were doing the disclaimer, I got back from the episode and saw I had like hundreds of mentions. I was like, oh no, this isn't good. <laughs> Can I say some, uh, that's one thing I'll take away from the show, doing the show and then walking out and looking at my phone and like, oh no. <laughs> what uh, did Tyler do this time? It's, it's funny. <laughs> and I was trying to be, the, the, the funny thing is I was trying to be at least slightly sympathetic to Talib Kuli because I get it. It stinks that, you know, that some uh, smug uh, critic just dismisses everything you did. At least that's how it can feel. Um, It's something I know when I'm writing about, I take into consideration a lot. I 
I think there's this like misconception that critics like writing bad reviews because bad reviews tend to get a lot of attention. And that's true. If you want attention, write a scathing takedown. That will get shared. It will get quoted. Um, I think the in the early aughts. Oh, that especially. Was true. And they, it that got out of control, true. right? Yeah. Like that became the tone of criticism, especially early in the internet age where sort of the rules weren't written yet. What uh, Pitchfork uh, early on learned that one way to get a lot of attention is to be really nasty. And some of those reviews uh, were too nasty. They weren't fair. They were ugly. They were widely shared. Sometimes they were funny. Sometimes they were just mean. And even Pitchfork uh, pretty early on corrected that. They, they really, at a certain point in their history, started to walk back that. You know, they started to, they got rid of the concept review and the joke review and they stopped pulling punches or, or cheap shots, rather. Um, but, like, you know, I've written my fair share of bad reviews for the site. Um, and I'm always aware that there's a real human being at the other end of that review who spent a lot of time on this piece of art. And uh, you're not trying to attack the person. I mean, that's this Lizzo review that we're talking about does a great job of that. It, it, uh, critiques the artistic decisions in some <laughs> some pretty spot on ways it's it's a, it's a cutting review i mean but the all the jabs are aimed at the artistic decisions of this particular album not at lizzo herself it, it has nothing but uh nothing but affection for lizzo nothing it repeatedly acknowledges her talent uh what she's capable of what she means to people this is a review written from a place of understanding and so even when I'm writing a bad review, at bare minimum, that's what I owe the artist, is I need to understand what they were going for, try to critique the, the music on its own terms. One thing I will say is most artists handle bad reviews really well. Um, I The number of times where I've had artists uh, clap back at me, pretty small. And I've even had artists handle it really well. Um, one of the harsher reviews I wrote, and this is uh, an example of taking no pleasure in a harsh review, was the uh, Prophets of Rage uh, review. Prophets of Rage is Rage Against, Rage Against the Machine with Chuck D from Public Enemy mm. fronting it instead of um, Zach De La Roca. And that's just not a good look. You know, Chuck D doesn't, he's not a rock singer. He can't really compete with the volume of those songs. He's getting older he's just not this like athletic presence you picture singing those old rage against the machine songs it's just a weird fit it doesn't work um and so i you know critique that and it was not a, a warm review it was uh as unfun as it was to critique uh chuck d's really always been one of my heroes um you know i, I wrote some things and he responded in a way that I just thought was so gracious. He did critique the review. He said, you know, man, I'm fine with this, but how are you going to say I don't have stamina? I've got nothing but stamina. You know, you could sort of tell that that was what maybe hit his ego a little bit because it's what, you know, I don't think he does enough for this particular band, but he made it clear what he had uh, issues with. He uh, voiced his disagreement in a way that was like so, uh, so gracious and so fair uh, Nothing, nothing telling like his hive, which is pretty big too, to go at me. And they didn't, at least not most of them. I just thought that was so cool. And I think that's the path forward for artists who disagree with reviews. I think the best you can do, and maybe it's not totally fair and totally satisfying, is if you want pushback at the specific point 
that you have a disagreement with the review. And I think that's really all you can do. Doing what Lizzo did and saying people review albums and don't make music themselves should be unemployed, you know, that's a broad sweeping generalization that nobody believes she would have tweeted if that review had been good, right? You can't you can't do that. It's just a terrible look. She ended up deleting the review after, I think, defending it a whole bunch and then backtracking. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, the writer who wrote this review did such a good job on this super unenviable assignment. You know, I think if Pitchfork had asked me, hey, there's this Lizzo album, it's not great, do you want to review it? I would have been like, no. (laughs) Because that is, you know, if I'm being honest, this is a bias. Like, um, it'd be like attacking Mitski or something. There are some some artists who carry such goodwill and mean so much to people that you want to respect that. You, it's not fun raining on people's parades, right? And and especially with an artist like Lizzo, who is so unique and and symbolizes so much more than just the album, it it isn't fun having to be the person who points out the obvious and says that this music sounds like it's from a yogurt commercial. <laughs> was that in the? Was that it was. The it was in some of them. It yeah. was. You know, it was a very commercial album. And really, that's what the gist of the critiques were, was that this is empowerment music that sounds really generic, you know, and that's um, that's fair. You know, I mean, that's and that's criticism that uh, Lizzo can probably learn from. People responded to her music because it had character, because it had personality, not just because it was her, but, you know, because there was something unique about it. And when you make an album that strips away what resonated with people, well, the artist needs to hear that, right? Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll second or sort of add to what you started that whole conversation with about the the intentions of the critic, um, because often is the case that critics do the opposite. They mm-hmm. look past the negative characteristics of the artist to write about the art, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just rare where you see the 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 focus be on the person or on their faults or on mm-hmm. their, their, their bad history. Um, so that the the idea that critics go into a, a piece with trying to be mean, <laughs> yeah, is is just asking. Of the hundreds, you can do uh, sort of if you really want to get in the weeds with this, you can do a mathematical analysis of Pitchfork and look at of all the hundreds of reviews they publish each year, the number that are under five point and it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. Even though the site has a reputation for these takedowns, because those are what gets the most traction, the amount of them that they run is minuscule. It is not every week that the site runs of a harsh review. Uh, it's it's a rare occurrence. And there is a reason for that. And if you're a critic doing your job and you spend time with the music and the art you're um, you're reviewing, instead of coming at it with like a predetermined judgment, you'll usually warm to it. I think uh, we've all experienced this with some art. If you spend some time with it, you might not like it at first, but the, the more time, there's just this natural tendency to warm to it. And actually, in, in criticism, this can be a problem because it makes it hard to get you know um, reviews that actually capture how people feel because, if anything, a lot of reviews, uh, are they're too kind. Yeah, it's a it's a sea of uh, if on an A to F scale, it's a sea of B reviews yeah. out there. It seems to be kind of the the default. Like, well, it's a B above average, and uh, everyone's happy with that. It just mm-hmm. kind of you just kind of get it out there, and no one ever talks about the, the it. The Rolling and... Stone three and a half stars. There, uh, there, <laughs> right. there was an urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm sure it's not. That at uh, the offices of Rolling Stone, they had a sign that says uh, three and a half stars" means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> and if you look at Rolling Stone. <laughs> 
everything yes. is within a half star of three and a half and mostly just three and a half. It's yeah. unless it's like a legacy band that, you know, has unless some tie, historical tie. What? Boss gets five on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless oh, yeah. it's Springsteen, you know, anything he does will get five. But uh, it's shocking if you go back and read um, a review of almost anything, any of your favorite albums from the last 20 years, go back and see what Rolling Stone gave it. It's probably a three and a half. If it's a great album, you think, well, that's a little too low, but not so low that it's like historically wrong. Yeah. And there's something Weasley about that. It doesn't. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. I can't. Th- what was? It? I think the last like really negative Pitchfork review that I remember making a big splash was the. Uh, what's the the new band that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin? I couldn't think. Oh, Greta Van Fleet. Thank Greta you. Van Fleet. Yes. yes. That was, uh, I don't know, that was, a, maybe, what did they give it, like a .5 or so? I mean, it was like a, you know, a really, really That was that score. T-ball of a... Of a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that one I remember making a big splash. But, um, yeah, I, I will say, talking about, uh, you know, bad looks for artists, I think it can also be a bad look for critics when uh, critics get maybe a little too excited about uh, getting yelled at by someone yeah. famous and they really lean into that and they start retweeting it and like, Hey, look, someone, someone famous is yelling at me online yeah. and ha ha. And they just kind of, it's like, all right, that's fine. You don't need to, that's kind of a bad look too. So I, I kind of, the people who brag about being blocked by somebody. Yeah. Those, and, are, those are the worst people on social media. And you know what? I've done it too. Uh, maybe not so much with musicians. Well, well, Corey Feldman blocked me and, and maybe, <laughs> you know, I kind of wore that as a, a badge of honor and maybe I shouldn't have. So, you know, I'm just as guilty of it too, I suppose, but uh, it's, it's not a good look either. The only way I'd really want to hear what the artist has to say and uh, outside of sort of the gracious Chuck D example you gave is do an interview, like a, a recorded podcast interview with the critic who wrote it. Ooh. I would like to hear one of these days someone do that. And I don't know that anybody will, because I'm not sure either party really wants to do it. But <laughs> I think it would be interesting to say, hey, you gave me a 4.5 on Pitchfork. Let's talk about that. The, the stakes for that, would be, it would be fascinating. The stakes would be so high, because, of course, the artist is so vested in their art. But the critic also has all these rhetorical tools so that could be, I mean, I'm sure that anybody who did that would come to it at good terms and in good faith, but you can see why that doesn't happen, right? I yeah. mean, the potential for ugliness and hurt feelings, it'd be pretty high. Yeah, it's impossible to take the emotion out of that. There are, if, in case you're interested, uh, it's been a while since they were written, but there are a couple oral histories of what uh, one of these harsh takedown reviews from Pitchfork from back in the day can do to people. And the, the most famous example is... Um, Travis Morrison, I think is his name, I feel bad, I don't remember, from the Dismemberment Plan, which was a band that Pitchfork rode for really hard back in the day, and a band that meant a lot to people. And then he put out a pretty unorthodox uh, solo record that isn't good, but tried some things, I guess. I don't know, it was interesting at least. And they just, I don't remember if it was a zero they gave it, but they gave it such a harsh takedown, and it meant more because it wasn't Greta Van Fleet. It was like one of the site's own. At the time, the the site was seen as like very territorial, very protective of its own, and so for them to sort of stab one of their chosen artists in the back like that was a really big deal. And uh, Travis Morrison has given interviews about how it basically ended his music career, that it was was that impactful. It's hard to imagine a review doing that now, but the, the, um, the impact of that review on him was so great and so consequential. Uh, it's hard to imagine they wouldn't do it different now. I mean, I don't. I don't think that should be the goal of criticism to destroy somebody. Yeah, and feels, that's really what it's it seems like. It feels like the only time 
I kind of feel like the only time you should write a bad review is when it's like culturally important to talk about mm -hmm. the artist making that art. Um, but I'm sure there's thousands of records they choose not to review because they're just bad, but they're not like important culturally in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a decision that uh, I kind of came to, especially with like local music that, you know, if this was a new band uh, that was just kind of coming out of nowhere and yeah, it just wasn't a great album or not a great song, we're just going to choose not to write about it. Now, if like an established band that's been around for, you know, many years and people know and love, let's say, I don't know, I'm just going to choose uh, the Fatty Acids. Uh, you know, if they came out I with 100 percent knew you were going to choose. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I just I don't know. They've they were like, I don't know. I always go to them because they were like the first band I remember kind of like new band that I started covering. Like when I started at the AV Club years ago, they kind of just came up then. So and, you know, they're still kind of kicking around today. So I was, they're always my default band that's been around for a while. But yeah, if you know, if they released a real a real dud. Um, yeah, that's something you could talk about. Um but going back to what you said, Evan, about, uh, you know, never attacking the person, attacking, well, not attacking, but addressing the art. That's something that I've always kept in mind, too, for non-musical things. And maybe we'll get to that as we wrap things up here. But um, thinking about all the kind of cultural things that uh, I've talked about and we've talked about on the show, uh, I've always tried to go to great lengths never to, you know, attack the uh, the people doing it, but kind of, and maybe this is a, a, a outdated way of thinking about it, but thinking it, thinking about stuff from like a consumer perspective, like, is this worth your time? Is, you know, is uh, this uh, envisioning the scene, uh, you know, remember that? Remember envisioning the scene when they would invite like never forget man. a dozen, you know, really <laughs> so mad. really wealthy and well-connected people on stage at the Pabst and charge everyone 10 bucks to listen to him talk for an hour? Um, you know, that, that, that was something where I, it was coming from a consumer pers you know, perspective, like this is not worth your 10 bucks. This is a... But, I, you know, I wasn't certainly attacking the folks standing yeah, up there. I think we've tried to do that on the show over the years. Like, there's a couple organizations who we have been very critical of. Um, and as I'm doing the show, like, I know some behavior from some of these people that is kind of deplorable. Um, but never making it about them, but making it about the, their actions they're whatever you know what what they're doing are now. they using their resources well and right. responsibly right yeah. yeah exactly so um i don't know that's that's probably a, one of the better topics we could end this show on as you know the show has started with sort of the idea that i'm kind of the behind the board host talking to two critics and two writers um, who are super talented and smart and can go on about topics every once in a while. I just insert a joke every once in a while. So <laughs> good good way to end it on criticism. Unless you guys yeah. have a, another couple topics you want to talk about, we could probably no, go along. Well, I mean, I do want to hear Matt talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, but maybe that's what Twitter is for. <laughs> yeah, I really want to end our final show talking about the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, which dropped yesterday. And boy, oh, does good. It, we're doing this. Boy, does it look great. Uh, if you're not, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> just, we'll, we'll, you'll, you'll have to follow us on Twitter to get Matt's uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. From thing. now until November when that thing opens, I'm tweeting nothing but Sonic the Hedgehog stuff. It's uh, The yeah. movie looks great. I think what's interesting about the show and been interesting doing the show is because we've been doing it for so long and because it's so, let's, let's be honest, so unscripted, right? We sort of feel out our thoughts in real time. Sometimes we even change our opinions on the air. Uh, and I always found that fascinating that the show sort of became 
this longitudinal study and how views and ideas evolve and change. And I hope maybe that that's one thing we tried to do well, uh, is there were times where I think probably all three of us uh, expounded a viewpoint that was wrong or clumsy or short-sighted, and uh, we didn't become too entrenched to it. We never became too wedded to our own ideas. Uh, sorry I attacked that swing park so much and then went there and realized it was wonderful. <laughs> it's a big one. It's just, you know, sometimes you hear about a swing park under a bridge, under a dark, scary bridge, and you think, that's a terrible idea. That just logically makes no sense to me. And then you go to the swing park and it's lovely and uh, it really adds to the community and you go, whoops. <laughs> How many episodes did I do saying that was dumb? Uh, but, you know, all you can really do is not become too entrenched, not double down. Admit when you're wrong, especially in, in this age that counts for so much because it's so easy to argue anything, especially when you're a critic like Matt and I are. Uh, you could, just like it's a high school debate club, you could say, argue this and we could with relish. That doesn't mean you should. Sometimes you have to kind of think things through, realize you're wrong. Uh, and I think our views evolved and I think uh, I think we tried our best to compensate for our shortcomings. It was, I don't know. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, that's been the best thing about the show is and just kind of, uh, I know it's kind of a cheesy word, but it, it's been, it's it's a conversation. It's not a this is my final answer and I'm sticking to it until the end of time. It's it's an evolving conversation. And I think of us being critical about, you know, certain organizations in town. Uh, I won't say who they are. New Walkie. New but, Walkie. Um, <laughs> uh, are, we, are we still, by the way, are we still as critical about them? We've like over the years, we've actually toned down. Right. Felt like every third episode used to be some grief with them. I, I is feel that like they're the, like the grunge band that put out an alt country record 20 years later. <laughs> I don't get that. I, 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 yeah, no, I like that. Um, but 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 even with them, you know, we were certainly critical of, of some things. And but you know, over the years, I think uh, you know they kind of uh, this group in particular kind of found their groove, and now I think that groove is is more like focused on you know young professional development, and they're I think hugely successful night markets that they do. On uh, West those are, Wisconsin, those are really Avenue. wonderful. Yeah, and those those are huge. And uh, I so I, I look back on some of that, and uh, both on this show and on Milwaukee Record and even AV Club. And sometimes I'm like, boy, what was I thinking? I was really going after these guys. But um, they I'm, deserved every word. I'm of it. I'm glad that <laughs> that back and forth did happen. And you know, I'm not suggesting that that uh, my criticism or our criticisms, you know, shaped anything necessarily, but. I'm glad that you know everyone kind of ended up settling and uh, kind of finding their groove, and uh, so I'm I'm thankful for like all these things that we've talked about. Looking, I look back on you know just the titles of some of our shows for the past seven years. And wait, our shows have titles? Yeah, the, there's titles. Yeah. Oh that, wow. Um, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You know, <laughs> I'd look at some of them. I was like, wow, I forgot all about that. Like, I just brought up that envisioning the scene thing, and I was like, wow, I totally forgot about that. And uh, but I, I'm glad people have been uh, – I'm, I'm glad there's been stuff to talk about. Uh, certainly in the past seven, eight years in Milwaukee, there's been absolutely no shortage of stuff to talk about. And uh, the, the, uh, the ways the city have, has changed in eight years is uh, – you know, it, it's crazy. Um, I was thinking just about transportation. Think of how many new different modes of transportation we personally have taken – <laughs> to get to this show that then we've talked about on the show there's been we did a show on uber 
classic remember, episode. Remember when Uber was like, everyone's like, what's this? Is this a thing? And like, you got in a stranger's car. Matt? I took an Uber to the station and like reported on it. And like, I was like, yeah, it was fine. It was just some guy picked me up and dropped me off. Evan did the scooter. Evan did, did the, the scooter. scooter. We did classic the streetcar. Yep. Classic episodes. <laughs> so there's been three new modes of transportation that introduced in Milwaukee. Well, the scooter's no longer around. Maybe it'll come back this summer, but I we'll do a special episode. I think we were right returns. about Uber, Uber, by the way. I think our, our point at the time was like, this is not, um, it, I mean, we, we complained a lot that they didn't follow the rules, right? And it turns out that cost them a lot of money and maybe it's not actually a viable business and it's like a flaw in their corporate dna <laughs> right. that they just steamroll over everything but it's become so so normalized now it's it's funny just thinking back to that particular show where it's like well what is this uh, uber have you heard of this I, I just downloaded it and tried it it's it's okay you, you know to tie to tie it all together with uh, uh people taking criticism well we complimented new walkie on that uh, the flag people got to give it up for the flag people. We were on this, this air so much attacking the thing they care about the most in this world, which is that, uh, people's flag. And they always handled it really, really well. You didn't think we'd let this show end without another flag well, comment. We did don't, you? we don't need to let it dominate the, the final minutes of our time together. There's enough before we never see each other again. Yes, but, Pokemon uh, Go. <laughs> no, that's right. But I always, I always thought, you know, they, I, I ran into the guy behind the, uh, flag campaign, <laughs> Usually the day after publishing something awful about them. And he always uh, was so kind and always said, you know, we listen to you guys and we take those criticisms seriously and we think about them and we're going to address them. And, you know, so we pointed out things, uh, maybe things that we found objectionable about their campaign. And at, at the bare minimum, they gave those things some consideration. And I respect that, even if obviously they came to different conclusions than we did. Uh, they were nothing but gracious. And it's not always easy to be gracious. I mean, we've we've seen obviously flag isn't the most consequential thing going on in the world but uh they they could have been jerks and they weren't and uh they just things like that and it happened all the time on the show just always made me feel really good about this city and we had him on the show uh you know we invited him on once uh, to kind of state his case and we kind of three on one yeah did, yeah i mean yeah kudos to him for uh, you know walking into this and uh you know we i don't think we really uh, pulled any punches on that one and we've done that uh, numerous times i think at our best uh, you know we did stuff like that we invited the people's fly guy on here we invited new walking on to talk about their thing uh, i believe there was uh, one year there was a big push to uh you know do a milwaukee stage at south by southwest and like the the hype it was getting was kind of uh, seemed a little Crazy, and you know, we invited those folks on to kind of talk about that. And did they uh, ever blow up the car? By the way, the, they did blow up the car. Uh, I don't know if the the movie ever came out, but they they blew that thing up good, and we've been on the map ever since. Uh, but uh, I feel like that's what launched our career. <laughs> it could have been, yeah. That, yeah. Thank, thank goodness for that car well, explosion. And and I wanted to go back to something Evan said about um, making up for our shortcomings. I think one of the things I think. We've all tried to do, and I do every single time we get on the air, is know that we're three white guys around about the same age. And that um, God knows the world does not need more media with white men talking, um, but we did it anyway. And to try to make sure we're considering voices that are not always ours and also calling people out who are not making our culture representative. And I think if if you go forward and – in Milwaukee and in, in this world, just do that. Just consider the other voices. Don't be a bully. Um, you know, if you if you want this show to stick with you in any way, make it that way. Yeah, and uh, a specific example of that, I remember uh, there was a year that uh, there was a big stink made over the Milwaukee Taco Fest. 
Uh, there was a uh, chef who kind of wrote a real uh, critical piece about that, saying, you know, it was uh, cultural appropriation and, uh, you know, food as cultural appropriation. And honestly, that was something that uh, me uh, had never really thought about before, had never really considered before. And uh, I remember we'd kind of talked it out on the show. And just personally for me, that was a really helpful thing to to kind of, you know, talk it out and consider that. And uh, I, I feel, you know, better for uh, now taking that into consideration, something that I had never thought of before, uh, you know, in my own little world. So uh, I, I was glad that came up. So uh, we should probably thank uh, definitely the station for sure. Uh, no, but come on. I mean, if you're honest, nobody in their right mind would put <laughs> no. put us on the air for this. Um, and I, you know, when I proposed this to Tom Crawford back in the day, it was kind of like, hey, I'm going to get Milwaukee's two music critics, preeminent music critics to, um, on the air to talk about Milwaukee music, and we kind of never did. <laughs> <laughs> we previewed some shows every quarter. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about, we did the end of the year best Milwaukee music and, you know, some local shows here and there. But, um, you know, I, we probably could have got a couple shows out of that, out of that theme, but... Um, it went for, it went where it did, and the station allowed that to happen. And we're not, nothing but grateful for the, the the time that we've been allowed on this station. I can't, yeah. In all the years we've been doing this, I can't remember like any time that we, you know, got uh, you know criticism from the station telling us what to talk about, what not to talk about. Uh, they, you know, never gave us notes. Never asked for topics in advance. Uh, maybe they should have. They should I don't have. know. It probably would have been a better show for eight years. But uh, yeah, never. Yeah, never screen topics or anything like. Just kind of, just you know. I mean, we've we've been begged to provide information prior to the show so they can actually promote it. It's <laughs> like we don't, we don't actually. Prepare. We're getting there. But to have that sort of space is, is really special, and we didn't take it for. I mean, obviously, no. we for as lazy as we could be, we didn't take it for granted. We always appreciated having the forum. We always appreciated the people who. Wait in. I'm going to miss uh, one of the things I'll miss the most is the pledge drive episodes, because as I always say on the air, the mood during those things is just electric. You see all the volunteers for WMSC come in and give their time and hang out with each other. And some of them have been doing it for years and all those restaurants come in and just flood the station with food. I love the food. It's amazing. And it's just it just shows it's just like a, a physical embodiment of the support for this station. And I just love seeing it. I'll never get sick of that. So if you want to support WMSC, yes. uh, we'll, this is our final episode, so we won't be here during the membership drive. Go to WMSC.org or wait you know, until the drive starts and make a call. Just give what you can for, you know, it, it, if anything, just give them 10, 10 bucks to say thanks for allowing eight years of this show. Yeah, in memoriam of the disclaimer. I was thinking on my walk <laughs> over here, Ryan, you probably remember this. Do you remember it? Well, actually, were you here in the 90s? Do you remember those thick metal cards they used to give if you were a member of WMSC? Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, that was like one of my first major purchases. And it wasn't, you know, for me at the time, like it wasn't cheap, but it was like scrounged up the money to like get that big metal card that the station gave away. Do you still have it? Uh, I wish I did. I, I think was there's so some proud of it. In the back here, we should have. I ask, would actually ask love it, Tom. If you can, yeah, score we'll have one to of hit, those t- hit Tom up for one of those. I mean, I I just had that thing, and I was like, you'd go to Atomic Record and you'd records and you'd flash it, and you get the ten like, percent discount, and mm. just like it was like, yeah, I support WMSC. I'm in the know, and uh, man, just to be on that station years later as an adult, oh man, if if I would have known as a kid. That I'd I'd be on this station for eight years. Oh my gosh, what an honor! It's been like such an honor. 
Huge thanks also to uh, all the DJs that we uh, that that we've cut into. You know, taking a half hour of of their shows. I like I said, I always felt bad for uh, poor Tom Wander in in the very beginning, but uh, like it just in general, yeah, just to give us the space and the the time to do this uh, is uh, incredible. Apologies to Paul Sebar for I was just going to say so mad at us sometimes. <laughs> Some of my fondest memories are when we'd be in the other studio and suddenly Paul Sebar would burst in and. <laughs> <laughs> yell about Tom Petty or something. No, but of course, the great, the, the legendary Paul Seabar. I was hoping he'd be here for our final show so he could serenade us out with the weather one final time or something. But uh, thank you. Thank you for the many years, Paul. Thank you. Thanks to you, too. I, I, this is, you know, it's a very sad moment in, in a lot of ways. Uh, as I was telling the guys over email, um, you know, no matter where I am sort of emotionally or mentally in, in the week, when I walk out of the studio, I'm in a better place every single time. And I think, you know, it's, I joke to my wife that it's like the only time that I, I, I think critically or intellectually these days, uh, outside of family thought and work. And, um, it, I don't know, it, it feels like you guys challenged me quite a bit over the years, uh, often made fun of me for some of my bad takes. Um, and, and it, I feel like I got smarter hanging around with you two dudes. Well, same. I've I've always felt like the dope out of uh, out of the bunch here. So, thank you guys for uh, yes. You know, the entrepreneur who started his own company is the dope. <laughs> I I am absolutely the dope out of this. But yeah, thank you guys. It's it's uh, this has been a hoot for uh, eight years. And I'll, I'll echo what you said too, Ryan. It's even on days where it was like, oh boy, I got to get on the bus and get down there. Oh, it's kind of a pain. Uh, the second I got out, you know, got to the studio and we started the show, I always felt better and always felt better walking out. So. Definitely going to miss that. Let's uh, let's call it. All right. This has been the disclaimer. Eight years of the disclaimer. Uh, Evan Erdleski, Shepherd Express, Matt Wild, Milwaukee Record, and Twitter. Uh, you can follow Evan R Y T, and Matt mm-hmm. is by Matt Wild. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to Facebook and and. Uh, Say Subscribe thank you. to our dead, thank, dead thank, Facebook page. Thank you for finally ending the show. <laughs> um, you will be able to download this episode from the WMSC archives or uh, the last download from the Apple podcast will be up shortly. I think I'll, I'll keep those up for, for a while, uh, but yeah, they, they will live on indefinitely. On oh, the, and uh, thank you to Matt, because I don't think Evan and I ever gave no. you a dime for the hosting. I've been, it's it's coming out of my own pocket. It, it's been uh, not a problem. I've been happy to do it. It's uh, It's been my privilege. <laughs> But uh, like I said, yeah, th- those will be up for a while if you really want to dig through the archives and find some stuff. You want to listen to that Envisioning the Scene episode, which is insane five years later. <laughs> I can only imagine. Or the one where we had Ted Perry on and oh, uh, the microphones a- didn't work for like 30, sec- 30 minutes. I felt so bad. That was so horrible. Um, you, uh, I want to thank Solo for the theme song. And uh, mm-hmm. big thanks to Finks, who's been uh, uh, sponsoring the show for, gosh, I'm Almost its whole run, I would yeah. think, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, thanks to my mom, who is our very most loyal listener. Sorry, the show has to end, Mom. I told her this morning, and she was very sad. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes, Sorry. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening all these years. And um, stay tuned for music from Sid right here on WMSC after these messages from uh, Finks. Uh, but once again, thanks for tuning in to what has been the number one cultural talk radio show in Milwaukee. We made history. This was, and you know what? This still is important.